So glad to see you here tonight and again be in prayer as we begin Vacation Bible School tomorrow. As Patrick said, it will be an exciting time. I say this every year. We will have children here who do not know the gospel story. It happens every year. Uh, they know the name Jesus. They just don't know the story. So be in prayer that they will hear the gospel and they will accept Christ this week. On Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to this incredible book, the book of John, tonight, chapter 7. And we're going to take the whole chapter tonight, so it's going to be a little long, and so, but we're going to look at it more verse by verse, because a lot's going to be taking place in this chapter. I'm going to read a few of the verses to begin with, and then we're going to go back, and beginning with verse 1, and looking at it as Jesus is proclaiming who he is, and they're not listening. So let's look at John chapter 7. Let's begin with verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And by this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. And still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Pray with me. Father in heaven tonight, as we take this passage, this text, guide us, that Father, we will hear the words of our Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, to understand what he is saying, but also help us, Father, to understand what happens when we proclaim him, that Father, tonight, we'll understand who he is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John begins in chapter 7, a few months, there's been silence. Jesus has healed the man. You may remember Jesus healed the man, and he told him to get up and walk. And, and they were concerned that he told a man to walk on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or, or take up your uh, pallet and walk. And so Jesus cured him. And they're still talking about that. He's feed the 5,000. They're still talking about that. They're, the miracles that Jesus has done, people are talking about that. And now we come to chapter 7, and the people are wondering, who is this person? I mean, is Jesus just a carpenter? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus a fake? Is Jesus insane? That, that's what they're trying to figure out. And Jesus is coming to a very important festival. And let's look at it. Beginning in, in verse 1, we see Christ and his brothers, beginning in verse 1 through verse 13. It says, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, let's stop there for a moment. You realize that they had no power to take his life. He was going to go to the cross, and yet Jesus did not tempt fate. He was doing, being wise in, in what he was doing. Verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of the booths, were near. And therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself sees to be known publicly. 
If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. John tells us this is the time of the feast of the, test of the tabernacle. This is the time of, of the booths, another word for it. Jesus was reproaching. His half-brothers come up to him. They're talking with him. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of the Booth, is a very important ceremony for the Jews. For eight days, the Jewish people would literally move out of their homes, and they would build temporary shelters, tents, if you will, made out of sticks and, and leaves and brush. And for eight days, they would celebrate that holiday. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of feasting. People came from all over to come to Jerusalem for this, uh, this ceremony. And so Jesus is there. This is considered maybe the greatest national uh, feast of Israel. It was established in the law in the book of Leviticus. The feast began in, in October. And there was really two reasons for it. First, it was a festival reminding the people that, that you know, God would provide, but it was also a time of people remembering as God led the people out of Egypt, how they lived in the wilderness and how God took care of them. And so they would have this ceremony, this Feast of the Tabernacle, to remind themselves God is going to take care of us. And then in verse 3, as Jesus is going to the Feast of the Booths, Tabernacle, his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea. So that your disciples may also see your works, which you are doing. Now, it says brothers, and people have argued about this. For example, those of the Catholic faith will say what he means is cousins because they will, do not want to believe that Mary had any other children. Uh, there are others who would say what he's talking about. Maybe Joseph had, was previously married, and, and these are other children. But the reality is the word means what it says. Brothers, these are Jesus' half-brothers. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, but nowhere in the Bible does it say the perpetual virginity of Mary. And nowhere in the Bible does it suggest Jesus was the only child. In fact, it tells us some of his brother's names later. And so he comes here, and there's his half-brothers, and they tells them something, tell him something interesting. He says, why don't you go somewhere else? Now, notice how they said it, though. You, verse 3, you need to leave here and go to Judea so that other disciples can see your good works. You, you need to go somewhere else so other people can see your great power and your great miracles. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brother said, you know, you're doing these miracles here, but why don't you go somewhere else, do those miracles, and people will flock to you. The word they use is openly. The word means boldness. Well, go somewhere else and boldly do miracles. Now, some ways, what they're saying to Jesus is exactly what Satan told Jesus when he told him to jump off the temple. Remember that? You jump off the temple and attract a crowd. Some of that, that's what it sounds like they're doing. Why, why don't you go somewhere else and, and get a bigger crowd? So, some scholars believe that they, they knew that Jesus' life was in danger in Jerusalem, and they're trying to help him out to get him out. Let me tell you what's going on here. There's something negative about this. They were embarrassed by Jesus. He is their brother, and he's claiming to be the Messiah. How embarrassing. What they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Why did you go somewhere else where there's a big crowd? 
where are they now? This is the Feast of the Tabernacle. You're not going to get a bigger crowd anywhere than there. I mean, what they're saying is ridiculous. Jesus, go somewhere else and get a bigger crowd. Find, find someone else to do the miracles. What they're saying, basically, we're embarrassed. We don't want you to around here. Get out of town. Now, later on, some of his brothers will come to know Christ in a personal way after the resurrection. But before the resurrection, they do not believe he is the Messiah. So what does he say? He talks about his timing in verse 6. He, he said, my time is not yet here, but your time is already uh, opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourself. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus said, hey, guys, my time's not ready. That word, he uses the word karos. It means the, the right time. He said, there's going to come a day. And what Jesus is saying, there's going to come a day I'm going to go to Jerusalem. But I'm going to die. That's the right time. Now, you can go anytime, guys, because the worlds don't hate you. You, you can go. There won't be any problem with you, with you going. But if I go now, it's going to mess things up. So I have to wait for the timing of God. My timing has not come. So he says, I will not go up to celebrate the feast. Verse 10, we see the hostilities. When his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, as if in secret. Jesus remained in Galilee for a while. Then, after the feast started, he went to the place. Now, he told the disciples, he told his brothers, I'm not going to go up to the feast. In other words, I'm not going to participate in the feast, but I'm going to go to the place. He's not lying. Our Lord doesn't lie. What it also says, he's going in secret. Did you notice that? The brother said, you need to go publicly, boldly, but Jesus is going in secret. In other words, he's not going to celebrate, but he's going to be there. It's kind of like a bad, bad illustration. Imagine if, if the Super Bowl was is in Tampa, and I told my son, you know, I'm not coming to the Super Bowl, but then I showed up in Tampa. I'm not at the Super Bowl, that's correct, but I'm in Tampa. I mean, what Jesus is saying, I'm not going to go to the feast, but he did go up there. Verse 11, the Jews were seeking him at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? They were expecting Jesus to be there. You would have thought that Jesus would be there for this big celebration. Verse 12, there were much grumbling among the crowd concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. They're trying to figure out where Jesus is. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Verse 12 says they were grumbling. Same word used, the Greek word for the Hebrew word when the people grumbled and mur murmured against God in the wilderness. Where is he? There's a controversy here. There, there are some who say, well, he, he's a good man. Uh, others say, no, he's leading people astray. He can't be a good man. That word good means good, upright. Others accusing him of being an imposter. Have you noticed that Jesus divides people? We, we've said it many times here. If you want to divide a crowd, talk about Jesus. You can be in a crowd and you can talk about God and it won't divide a crowd. You can talk about spirituality and it won't divide a crowd. But you start talking about Jesus, it will divide the crowd. And we're seeing it even here. 
that here's our Lord, the divider of men. And although it's apparent on the final day, he's going to show up. They're still trying to figure out who he is. Beginning in verse 14, we see Christ and the heavenly claims. Look what it says. But when it was now in the midst of the feast, in other words, it's been four days. Jesus hasn't appeared yet. Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Verse 15, the Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus caught them by surprise. They hadn't seen him for days. And then he appears in the temple, and as a rabbi, he was allowed to teach. And they said two things about him in verse 15. They were amazed. They said, how has this man become learned? That, that word means letters, educated. But the other word means something even greater, never been educated. That word means that you didn't go to school. Here's what they're saying. Jesus, how can he be so smart he didn't go to our school? You know, he didn't go to Harvard. He didn't go, he didn't go, didn't go to Yale. How could he be that smart? He, he's just a rabbi. He's a carpenter. He is teaching us as a scholar. And he couldn't understand how this man, because they considered him illiterate. They considered him uninstructed. It was not the wisdom of Jesus that upset the Jewish leaders was much that he didn't come from their schools. So what does he say? He gives a message from heaven. He said, verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. <laughs> I didn't go to your school, guys. That's true. I went to the school of God, and he's the one who sent me. And then he says in verse 17, if anyone is willing to do his will. If anyone is willing to do what God wants them to do, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. That's a powerful truth. It still applies today. If anyone is really interested in the will of God, if anyone is really interested in finding out what God desires, when you are confronted with Jesus, you will know Jesus is from God. Now, these people were not interested in the things of God. They were just going through the ceremonies. They were just going through the ritual. They really had no desire to know what God wanted. But Jesus is saying, if you really are interested in God and you listen to me, you will know I am from God. That's what he's saying. Verse 18 he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not speaking about myself. I'm not speaking out of a school. I'm speaking the things of God. My teaching is not my own. Look at verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carry out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And you say, what is he talking about? The crowd answers, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Remember Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, and the Jews got mad? How dare you do that? You, you, asked, you healed on the Sabbath day, and they were... Mad at Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about. In verse 19, he's saying, 
isn't the law of circumcision you to circumcise a child, a baby, in eight days, regardless of what day it is? Do you keep that law? I kept the law of helping someone. And the crowd, verse 20, said, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. And John uses a certain word there for crowd. It's a word used to describe the outsiders. These are the tourists. It's not the residents of Jerusalem. These are the people who haven't heard anything going on. They're coming from the outside. They come in, they're hearing Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus is saying, somebody wants to kill me. And they, 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 what are you talking about? You have to have a demon to believe something like that. You have to be crazy to believe like, something like that. Jesus goes on to explain, verse 21, I did one deed, and you all marveled. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I have made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge me according to appearance, but judge me with righteous judgment. Again, Jesus is saying, look, I, I, you, you keep the law. A baby is born. You're going to have circumcision in eight days, even if it's on the Sabbath day. You don't say, well, it's the Sabbath day. We can't do a circumcision. And Jesus said, if you take that much concern of one part of the body, what about me? I'm, I care about the whole body. I healed a man. How can you be angry with me? If you care that much for one part of the body, I care for the whole body. It happened on the Sabbath, but you circumcised on the Sabbath. How can you be mad? You are still angry about that. And Jesus said, go back and look what Moses said. If it's permissible to treat one part of the body on the Sabbath, then what's wrong with healing the whole body on the Sabbath? He says in verse 23, are you angry with me? That word anger, that particular word is only used in John, this place. In fact, it's only used in the New Testament, this place. This is the, the worst kind of anger you can imagine. The, the word means to be full of bile. It means you are so angry. It, it means you are shocked by a monstrous act. You think of something that will totally disgust you to anger, whatever that may be. That's the word. Jesus is saying, you are so angry about this monstrous act that I did, and all I did was heal a man. On the Sabbath, I met his physical needs, and I met his spiritual needs, and you're mad at me. I said, take up your bed and walk. Again, John chapter 5, verse 8. And you're mad at me. How can you be mad? I'm keeping the law. Then he talks about his mission from heaven, verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Now, the first word, the crowd, these were the outsiders. These are the, these are the residents of Jerusalem. They've heard about this Jesus. They've heard about him, and they say, wait a minute. Isn't this man whom they're trying to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that he is Christ, is he? Do they? Here's what they're saying. These are the residents of Jerusalem. Hey, we've been hearing about this Jesus guy, and they want to get him and kill him, but there he is in public, and no one's judging him. Why? Is it because the leaders think he's the Messiah? 
Is that why they're not going after him? Now, they're confused. Who is this man? We've been hearing about this Jesus, and here he is in the temple. He's boldly proclaiming, and no one's doing anything. Maybe he really is the Messiah. And so now this is this dilemma. Because the Jews believed the Messiah would come, and some thought that the Messiah wouldn't even know he was the Messiah until a certain point of time. And so they've been looking for this Messiah, and here is Jesus doing things a Messiah would do. And no one's touching him? Maybe, possibly, he's the one. Verse 27. However, we know where this man is from, and whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. We know his hometown. He's from, he's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. Which, by the way, they knew the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem. They didn't do their research, but, or they would have realized he did come from where the Bible says. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out in the temple in teaching, saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus said, Look, I know who, where I come from, you don't know where I really come from because I came from heaven, and you're not getting it. In verse 30, so they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Again, Jesus is going to go to the cross. They can't touch him right now. Verse 31, but many of the crowds believed in him. They were saying, when the Christ comes, he would not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Now you have some of the crowd saying, what? He really is the Messiah. You got some saying he's not the Messiah. You got some who say he's the, he is the Messiah. Again, we see division. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. This is the temple court, uh, the, uh, the, the temple police. They said, we want you to go arrest him. Verse 33, therefore Jesus said, for a little while longer I'm with you, then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Now the Jews are really confused. What? You're going to go where we can't find you? Verse 35, the Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? There were many Jews outside of Palestine. They were called the dispersion. They thought Jesus was saying, hey, in a few days, a few weeks, a few months, I'm going to leave this place, and I'm going to talk to the Jews outside of Palestine. That's the only thing they can come up with. They can't figure out what Jesus is saying. Verse 36, what is this statement that he said, you will seek me and will find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Look at verse 37, the gift from heaven. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I have to explain something about the feast. For seven days, they rejoiced. For seven days, they, they celebrated. The eighth day was the Sabbath. It was a very special Sabbath. It was the end of the celebration. 
as part of that celebration, the priest would go and, and he would draw water from the Pool of Siloam and, and he would take it to the temple. And as he's going, the people are, are following him. It is a parade. They are celebrating. They are cheering as they're taking this water. They go into the temple, followed by this crowd, and he would take the water and he would pour it out on the altar. At that point, the, the, the Jewish crowd would go into ecstasy. It was the end of the ceremony. They would start singing Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. This was the end. It was a great time. It showed that God was going to flow, uh, bring out his blessing, the, and the blessing would flow upon Israel. Most commentators believe that when they were pouring out the water, that's when Jesus said this. I love that image. They're marching down Main Street with the water. They're pouring the water on the temple, showing that God is going to bless the people and flood the people. And then that's when Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and John is good to us. John says, hey, let me give you a footnote. That's what he says in verse 39. Let me explain it to you in case you didn't get it. John says, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is saying, if you want life, if you want true life, I will give that life. I will give living waters of life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus dies and goes to heaven, when we accept Christ, that's when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. That's when we have the fullness. That's when we have the living waters flowing within us. And Jesus is saying that as they are celebrating the waters of the flowing, be flowing upon the people. At that moment, I can, I can even imagine what's going on as they're looking at Jesus as he is saying this, as they're celebrating, and Jesus said, hey, guys, if you really want the living water, I'm right here. If you really want the living water, you need to come to me. As the Scripture says, and all through the Scripture, and part of the ceremony was talking about how the water came out of the rock. He says, as the Scripture says, the water's going to flow. Jesus is telling the people who he is. And what happens? Well, verse 40 through 53, we see more division. Verse 40. So, and the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Deuteronomy, it talks about the prophet that's coming. They said, this must be the prophet. Only the prophet would say something like this. Others were saying, this is the Christ. He's more than a prophet. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? And they said, wait, wait, wait a minute. The, the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. He's coming from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah. He's from the wrong hometown. Again, they hadn't done the research. Has not the Scripture said the Christ come from the descendant of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Again, we see in verse 43, a division occurred in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45, remember how the, they sent the temple guard, the temple police to arrest Jesus, to investigate him? They come back four days later. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to him, said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. 
They just hired these guys to go arrest Jesus. They just hired these guys, go get the evidence against him. Four days later, they come back and say, he's good. You haven't heard this guy. We couldn't find anything wrong with him. We listened and watched him for four days. We investigated, and he's good. No one has ever done this. Verse 47, the Pharisees then answered them, you have not been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers, the Pharisees, that believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. The Pharisees, sad, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin are looking at one another saying, are you kidding me? We sent the guard, and now they believe? And they looked, at one, looked around and said, is, are we the only ones? Are we the only ones that do not see that this Jesus is not who he says he is? They even said the crowd, the, the people of Jerusalem, they are cursed. Is anyone of the Pharisees and anyone of the Sanhedrin believe that this man is who he says he is? Verse 50, Nicodemus, remember him? Talked about him, John chapter 3. Nicodemus, he who came to him before being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him. And knows what he is doing, does it? Nicodemus says, hey, guys, we have a law, and we haven't been following the laws. If we're going to accuse him, we need to talk to him. Verse 52, they answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Nicodemus, you're not from Galilee, are you? You know that place. You know how bad that place is. No prophet of God will come from that place. No Messiah will come from that place. What are you talking about? And all through chapter 7, we see Jesus proclaiming the truth and dividing the people, dividing the groups. And as I said, he still divides people today. Because that's what truth will do. Truth divides. You know, you got to be careful judging somebody from where they're from. In January 1955 in Memphis, Tennessee, it was a cold day. There was a Cadillac dealership. They were, said they were huddled in their office trying to warm themselves. And this young guy comes up, looked like he didn't have a dime to his name, looking at Cadillacs on the lot. Nobody wanted to go talk to him because it was a cold day. And finally, Bud Davis said, I'll do it. Bud Davis went out there and reached out his hand and said, I'm Bud Davis. Would you like to buy a Cadillac today? man shook his hand and said, well, yes, I would. My name is Elvis Presley, and I could dig one of these things. Now, this is before Elvis made his mark in the world. Elvis was making some money. Elvis was making a success at this time, but no one had heard of him. But he bought a used 1954 Cadillac Fleetwood. Over his lifetime, he bought over 200 Cadillacs from Bud Davis. By the way, if you go to Memphis today, the dealership is now called the Bud Davis Cadillac. They looked at him and said, he can't have money. We're not going to deal with him. They were wrong. People look at Jesus, 
And they'll say, surely he cannot be the Messiah. He comes from the wrong place. He says the wrong things. But they're wrong. Jesus said, if you're really interested in the things of God, if you are really seeking God and you hear my words, you will know I'm from God. Maybe tonight you've been seeking God. If you're really seeking God, if that's really your heart, when you hear the words of Jesus, you will know he's from God. Those of you watching online, are you seeking God? Are you trying to find God in this world? If you are, when you heard the words of Jesus, you know he is from God because he is God. Will you give your life to him? By admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus came and died on the cross 2,000 years ago for your sins and confessing everything to him. Would you do that? If you would, just text the word today at 270-398-5005. But if you're here tonight and you're seeking God, when you heard the words of our Lord Jesus, you knew he's from God. Would you stand and bow your heads? Father, 2,000 years ago, we see where Jesus divides people. But it's a division based on truth and lies. It's a division based on good and evil. Father, our, our goal is not to divide people. Our goal is to bring people to you. But we know, Father, when we proclaim Jesus, it bothers people. But, Father, never let us to stop. And, Father, tonight, if there's anyone here who's never given their life to you in a personal way, let them do so. Because Jesus died for them. And even now, he is calling them to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.